welcome to the Prophecy Club. As you know, Leslie and I are going to Malaysia to speak, and in the process, I've tried my best to make a lot of broadcasts in advance, but I just can't make enough of them. I'm going to get some help from David Phillips also, but in the meantime, we're going to have to play some audio of the DVDs. And out of the over 300 DVDs that we've made, I've chosen the ones by Michael Rood because I think that the church mostly needs to learn more about the feasts, and that's probably one of the best ones talking on the feast that I know of. So here's the offer, then I'll explain what the DVDs are. We're offering you six discs valued at $160 for a gift of $40, but the best deal is get six discs and watch them at watchprophecyclub.com for only $10. Yeah, they can watch all six of them for only $10, and of course you can get signed up for watchprophecyclub.com for $20 a month or $200 a year. So here's the scoop on it. We're offering you Prophecy in the Spring and Fall Feast. That's a four-disc set by Michael Rood. We're also offering you Fall Feasts in Prophecy by Doug Hamp. And my DVD, 17 Secrets in the Feast and the Trumpets. Again, six DVD discs valued $160 for a gift of $40. And you order the discs at prophecyclub.com. It's called the Feasts in Prophecy gift offer. However, the best deal is watch all six of them for a gift of $10 at WatchProphecyClub.com. You'll have access to the Fall Feasts offer of four titles immediately at WatchProphecyClub.com. But of course, the best deal is you can watch over 200 titles for a gift of $20 a month recurring or $200 a year recurring, and you can watch all of them anytime you want to, including the new Sevenfold Miracle Crusade, which is not going to be offered on DVD. It's only going to be at WatchProphecyClub.com. So, order the discs at ProphecyClub.com. Watch the 200 titles for $20 a month, $200 a year at WatchProphecyClub.com. Or get the Feasts in Prophecy gift offer at ProphecyClub.com for a gift of $40. Or you can watch all of them, all six of them, for a gift of only $10 at WatchProphecyClub.com. little complicated. Call us, 785-266-1112, and we will explain more if you have a question. So let me explain what the DVDs are. First of all, in my opinion, I think that probably Michael Rood is one of the best, if not the best, at explaining the feasts. One of the revelations I received, which is in my new book, Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy, was that Jesus did not fulfill all of the spring feasts. He was not here. As you recall, he ascended 10 days before Pentecost. The feasts are not days to have a party. They are God's appointment days, meaning that when God does major events, he always does them on his feast days. Most especially, they are a picture of the last seven months before Jesus returns. They lay out the two returns, I said the two returns of Jesus, one are first fruits as a lamb, 50 days later his crowning at the marriage feast, and then his final return on trumpets as the line of the tribe of Judah to burn the tares. Michael Rood probably does one of the best jobs I've ever seen in explaining the feast, which is why I've chosen to play his audio of his DVDs today. Michael tells the story of how Jesus fulfilled the first four feasts at his coming, as I said I don't believe he did. I think it stopped on first fruits. That's our only difference. But other than that, I think he's right on. And it's very important that you learn all you can about these feasts because they help you to understand Bible prophecy. Then we also are offering Doug Hemp's DVD, The Fall Feasts in Prophecy. He says there are seven feasts of the Lord. 
We know Jesus died on Passover. During the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he was in the tomb. On first fruits, he arose. Fifty days later, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. He'll also explain the parable of the fig tree in Matthew 24 and demonstrates that we are living at the end of the generation, which will see the budding of the fig tree. Then my DVD is part of the offer, 17 Secrets in the Feasts and the Trumpets. This recording contains the top six revelations I received from memorizing the book of Revelation. In the order of importance, they are the next anointing of Jesus, who are the two witnesses, is not Enoch and Elijah, what is the morning star, seven amazing facts about the 144,000, secrets in the seven feasts and trumpets, who appears before the great white throne, and who appears for the Jesuit seat of Christ, the kings and priests in New Jerusalem, what are and who sits on the other thrones, and what are the other books. So that's four titles, six discs, for a value of $160 at prophecyclub.com for a gift of $40 at watchprophecyclub.com for a gift of $10. But the best deal is just join Watch Prophecy Club. 20 bucks a month, $200 a year. You can watch now over 200, almost 300 titles. Now let's go listen to Michael Rood in Prophecies in the Spring Feasts of the Lord. That is the beginning of the month. And so we see that the lunar cycle, or the monthly cycle, is exactly 29.530587 days long, which means you either have a 29-day month or a 30-day month, one or the other, depending on the visible sighting of the first sliver of the new moon. Now, the next question would be, when do years begin? And to see when years begin, first of all, I would like you to, to, to look at the chart and to see the month of the Abib. As it is written in the uh, King James in the English version, it says the month of Abib. In Hebrew, it would be pronounced Aviv. And so you'll see that sometimes I write it Abib, sometimes I write it Aviv. After the Babylonian captivity, it was renamed as the month of Nisan. And the month of the Aviv is generally the first new moon after the vernal equinox, but that's not how it is determined. We're going to see that God's reckoning allows us to understand when the year begins, and we'll take a, a look at that. Oh, excuse me, we'll go back, just one here, and say, see that when we were in the land of Egypt, that is when God sent a plague of hail just before the exodus, and it destroyed the barley because the barley was aviv, but it didn't hurt some of the other crops. Now, whatever the word aviv means, it is, first of all, it's referring to a level of maturity of the barley crop. And so it was in the month of the aviv barley we came out of the land of Egypt. And that's why I said, this shall be the beginning of the year for you, the beginning of months, for in the month of the aviv you came out of the land of Egypt. The month of the aviv in which the barley was aviv, and the hail came down and destroyed the barley because it was aviv. So we have those parameters that are set for the beginning of the year. Now, we know that when we came into the land of Israel, that we were required to go up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Unleavened Bread every year in the month of the aviv. And so when we went up to the Feast of Passover, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we were then to harvest ten omer, of the new barley crop. So the barley has got to be harvestable. It has to be mature and harvestable during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so we know that as early as 15 days earlier that the barley must be aviv. 
So whatever Aviv is, it means that as early as 15 days later, it's going to be harvestable. You may have to replay the tape a few times to get the full dynamics of what I'm talking about here, but I'll attempt to make it clear on this. Because whatever Aviv barley is, it means that 15 days later, it's going to be harvestable. That's the first month of the year. Now, we'll, we'll discuss that more in a little bit, but we see that the first month is called the month of the Aviv after the Babylonian captivity. It was also called uh, Nisan. And that corresponds on the Gregorian, or as I affectionately call it, the pagan calendar, with the months of March and April. And then, of course, you have the second month, the month of Iyar, the third month, the month of Sawan. Now we come to the next month, the fourth month, and we have the month on the Jewish calendar, which is entitled the month of Tammuz. Now, what is the month of Tammuz about? Where did that name come from? Because we read in Ezekiel 8 how that God is taking Ezekiel into the back way, into the temple. By revelation, that is when Ezekiel is busting through the wall and going in the back way, and God is telling him to dig deeper, dig deeper. Let's see what's going on behind the scenes. He takes him into the temple and shows what is going on in the temple, and God says it's an abomination. Then he takes him further and he says, I'm going to show you an even greater abomination, and he shows them women weeping for Tammuz. Women weeping for Tammuz. This was an abomination. Now, who is Tammuz? Tammuz is the son of Semiramis, or Beltus, who was the wife of Nimrod. Nimrod is the man who built the Tower of Babel. And according to Babylonian sun god worship uh, teaching, it was Nimrod, when he died, he ascended into heaven, and he literally became the sun. Now he is the sun god, the Babylonian sun god. And his wife, Semiramis, a great time later, she becomes pregnant. His widow becomes pregnant, but not in a way that you might expect. She becomes pregnant because the rays of the sun, her husband, Nimrod, have impregnated her, and now she is going to give birth to the reborn sun god, and she calls his name Tammuz. And his birth date is December 25th. Now, this isn't any real news to, uh, to the Israelites, because remember, we were down in Egypt, and the Egyptian sun god, Ra, he was born on December 25th. And just about all ba- uh, sun god worship originated in Babylon, so when we were taken into captivity in Babylon, to have the Babylonian sun god born on December 25th, that would be common. And then, of course, uh, many years later, when Antiochus Epiphanes came in and conquered Jerusalem, roasted a sow on the brazen altar, defiling the altar, and then he set up a statue of Zeus, the Greek sun god, in the temple on Zeus's birthday, December 25th. Many years later, the Romans had the habit of, of crucifying the Jews, torturing them to death on the cross of Mithra the Mithraic cross, because Mithra was the Roman sun god, and you can look it up in the Encyclopedia Britannica and see that Mithra's birth date is December 25th. There's one day, I'll guarantee you, that Yahshua of Nazareth was not born. It's December 25th. This has all to do with pagan sun god worship. 
And yet we see this is what this whole thing about Tammuz is, and December 25th, and of course an older calendar, the uh, Gregorian, excuse me, the, the Julian calendar, in which December 25th occurred at the summer, excuse me, the winter solstice. And so it is that Tammuz, the reborn sun god, lived for 40 years. In his 40 years, he was killed in a freak hunting accident, and he was gored by a wild boar. Now, after that, they then set aside 40 days of weeping for Tammuz, one day for each year of his life. So that's where the 40 days of weeping for Tammuz came about. But many years later, his mother, Semiramis, or Beltis, she died. But as luck would have it, she did not stay dead. When she ascended into the heavens, the gods sent her back to earth in this giant egg, which came down from heaven on the first Sunday at sunrise, after the vernal equinox, that Sunday sunrise, in which Easter, the goddess of fertility, came down out of heaven, landed in the Euphrates River, busted out, and turned a bird into an egg-laying rabbit. Ishtarte, Easter, the goddess of fertility, the naked fertility goddess of the, of the East, was the reborn Semiramis, the wife of Nimrod, the mother of Tammuz. Now, it was then that they would set aside the 40 days of weeping for Tammuz that would culminate on Easter Sunday. And that was the day they would then kill the wild boar that killed Tammuz and eat ham on Easter Sunday. And of course, many years later, it's, uh, as uh, the worship of Ishtarte or Easter developed, then the priest of Easter would impregnate virgins on the altar of Easter at the sunrise service, and one year later they would sacrifice those three-month-old babies and then dye the eggs of Easter in the blood of those sacrificed infants. And even in America today and around the world, there's one denomination that only allows the eggs of Easter to be dyed blood red. If you ask them why, they have no idea because they inherited it from their forefathers. But it goes right back to the sacrifice of infants and the worship of the sex fertility goddess of the East. But still, if you ask most denominations why they dye Easter eggs, they don't know that is the memorial, the rehearsal of child sacrifice. But yet, these are the kind of things that have been brought into what people call the worship of the true God and is nothing but pagan sun god worship. And God calls it an abomination and to have nothing to do with it, never naming the names of other gods and not learning the way of the heathen. Do not learn how they worship and serve their gods and say you're doing it unto me. It's an abomination that is so repulsive and vile and disgusting that God has to use the, the hardest word in the Hebrew language and yet I hear people say, well, that's not what it means to me. Well, again, it doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what it means to God. And we serve the true God. And we do what he says. If we love him, we keep his commandments. We do not throw other gods and put them in his face. So it is the month of Tammuz. And then we go down, oh, take a look at the, the month, uh, the seventh month, the month of Ethanim or as it's now called, the month of Tishri on your Jewish calendars, and you see that it is in accordance with the month of September. Sept, September, Sept means seventh. October, octagon, octo, eighth. November, Novus, ninth, December, Deca, tenth. 
Those four months hearken back to God's original numbering of the month, whereas January starts out with Janus, the two-headed god of the Roman Empire, and then goes all the way to August, Caesar Augustus, the god of the Roman Empire. So it is that even on the pagan calendar, there is a little bit of a remembrance of God's original reckoning of time, even though the reckoning has completely changed. It's a year and a half ago that I said and wrote that Y2K is moot. It is totally irrelevant. December 31st, 1999 at midnight doesn't begin a day. It doesn't begin a week, doesn't begin a month, doesn't begin a year, doesn't begin a millennium. Even on the pagan calendar, the new millennium doesn't start till 2001. All that it possibly could have been is a two-digit computer code problem. It had nothing to do with prophecy being fulfilled or God's prophetic timetable. And there were people saying that, that uh, the Messiah is going to return on January 1st or at midnight. What ridiculous things. And then we hear 88 reasons why... The Messiah is going to return on October 8th, 1988, and then we change it to 93 reasons why in 93. All of these things because we are ignorant of God's times and God's Moedim. We are to not be ignorant of those things, and we will never know the day or the hour of these occurrences. But we can know the times and seasons that we are allowed to know and restoring God's reckoning of time. Now, when we come to the, the end of the year, I'll point this out, that after 12 lunar months, which each month is 29 and a half days long, depending on the sighting of the first sliver of the new moon, it's either 29-day month or 30-day month. So after 12 months, you could have a year as short as 354 days. You could see how easily the solar calendar and the lunar calendar would get out of sync that way, seeing how there are 365 and a quarter days in the solar cycle. And so what God did is provided a way by which these things could be adjusted. And after the 12th month, then what we do is when the first sliver of the new moon appears, we have a question, what month is it? We'll go back to take a look at what month this could be. Because if the barley at the end of the 12th month, if the barley is now Aviv when the first sliver of the new moon appears, it is the month of the Aviv. But if the barley has not reached that level of maturity, the month is called Adarbet or a 13th month to allow the barley to mature. Now this becomes very important in God's reckoning of time, especially on the prophetic calendar. We're going to see how that now begins to work out. Because now, when do years begin? They begin in the month of the Aviv barley. And on our calendar, we see that Adar is the 12th month of the lunar year. The lunar month is 29 and a half days long, and the lunar year could be as short as 354 days. The solar year being 365 and a quarter, you have to synchronize the lunar and the solar calendars so that Passover is in the spring of the year in the month of the Aviv each year. And so the biblical Hebrew calendar requires a periodic 13th month to allow for the maturing of the barley crop in the land of Israel. That is where all time is reckoned from, Jerusalem. Now, at the appearance of the new moon after Adar, the barley must be Aviv for the new month to be declared the month of the Aviv. If it's not, it's declared Adar Bet. And last year, in 1999, in the spring... The new moon at the close of Adar was Adar Bet. Jewish Karaites found the barley in Israel that it was not Aviv, and 
So an Adar bet had to be calculated. Now the modern rabbinic calendar, or the Jewish calendar, calculates Adar bet seven times every 19 years, regardless of the barley in the land of Israel. And the calculation was put in place at a time that we didn't live in the land of Israel. So there's a reason why it was done. But now we are living in the land, and so we can go back to God's reckoning of time. Last year, the Jewish calendar was one month ahead of God's calendar, and it was then, this last fall, that that calculation in the reckoning was then made right. Now, this is what transpired. After the publishing of the calendar, then I was invited and am invited to the Israeli New Moon Conferences in the land of Israel. It was among rabbinic Jews, Orthodox Jews, and it was there that I was at this meeting, and since this is uh, going around the, the world, we won't, uh, we won't talk about uh, particular names, but I came across and was given the name of a Karaite who had been working on the Aviv Barley for 10 years. His name, Nehemiah Gordon. Here we are sitting at the south end of the Temple Mount, and the date is November 9th of 1999. In a short time, we're going to be up on the side of the Mount of Olives with about 40 Jews, rabbinic Jews, Karite Jews, and Messianic Jews, together for the first time in nearly 2,000 years to declare the new month on the celestially correct day on the side of the Mount of Olives, and there you are looking over the city of Jerusalem with the highest building there being the YMCA Hotel across from the King David, and there is the first sliver of the new moon of the month of Maheshwan. That night, I brought out a bag of, of native Israeli barley, a big bag. I bought the last native Israeli barley in Jerusalem and around the area, all that we could find, and it cost an arm and a shekel. And uh, that night, then the Levites... And the Kohanim and all those in attendance then reached into that bag of barley and cast it on the side of the Mount of Olives. We planted the barley on the Mount of Olives where the priest had planted it 3,000 years ago. And at that time, we did not even know that we were planting it in the very same place the priest had done for a 1,000 years. And as we cast on the side of the Mount of Olives, we knew that when that barley is aviv, that it would begin the new year. And if our calculations were correct on the year, then that would begin the seventh or the Sabbath millennium, the day or the millennium of the Lord. That night, the International Friends of the Israeli New Moon and Aviv Barley Society uh, did their, their first act of uh, helping the Jews in the land of Israel to plant the barley and the calendar that we produce. The majority of the proceeds go back to the land of Israel to help the Levites there, whether they are Messianic rabbinic or Karaite Jews, those who are working to bring back God's reckoning of time are being helped by that. Here we see that what happened now within the next two days is we plant eight barley fields in the land of Israel. Eight barley fields, and here I am uh, shoveling sheep dung up in Tekoa. This Bible study stuff gets to be kind of tough after a while. And here is uh, Bruce Brill. He's a Levite, a rabbinic Jew. And he is planting barley uh, with Messiah, who is a Messianic Jew, and planting in the barley field at Tekoa, out in front of Bruce Brill's home. Here is Shoshana Harari. Mika and Shoshana are the Jerusalem heart makers. They're Levites. And here she is planting a barley field in Ramat Raziel. And that night, when we have planted the barley, 
Marheshwan won. The barley planted on the Malibalos by Levites for the first time since the destruction of Jerusalem. And we are watching for when that barley becomes aviv. Because we know that the appearance of the new moon of April 5th, the barley has to be aviv for it to be declared the month of the aviv. If not, it's Adar Bet. We expected the barley to be aviv, but this year, at that time, the barley was not aviv. Adar Bet again. Eight barley fields planted on Jewish soil by the Levites in the eighth month, but because the latter rains were over two months in coming late, the barley was not aviv at the expected time. The month of Adar Bet was reckoned two consecutive years in a row. Why? Because God's reckoning, the barley must be aviv in order for it to be the month of the aviv. So we arrived in Jerusalem and left Cairo, Egypt at one o'clock in the morning, and when we left uh, Cairo, Egypt, we came out of Egypt on May 5th. Then that next morning, we're on the side of the Mount of Olives at 10 o'clock in the morning. We shot this picture. The barley planted on the Mount of Olives by the Levites was declared aviv in Jerusalem on May 5th, 2000. And there you see the barley in front of that stone, uh, and that's where we planted it. We cast it on the side of the Mount of Olives, and you're looking down on the Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock, and uh, that's one of the last shots you'll see of the Temple Mount before that eyesore is removed in the very near future. So get a good look at it. Because May 5th, 2000, the barley in Jerusalem is aviv. May 5th, 2000, the Mayan calendar ended abruptly. May 5th, 2000, the menorah, seven-planet alignment, the menorah alignment, as Josephus referred to it, which is literally the five visible planets plus the sun and moon in conjunction, and it only happens every one to 2,000 years in the history of planet Earth. And May 5th, 2000, by many New Agers, the age of Aquarius began. And it was there, the barley was aviv. We went out then to Tekoa, to the sheepfold, or excuse me, to the, uh, uh, the barley field there with the Herodian archaeological site is the mound in the uh, distance there. And the barley is aviv there in Tekoa at that time. That evening, the first sliver of the new moon appeared. And if our calculations on the year were right, it was aviv 1, 6001, the day or the millennium of the Lord began at that point in time. If that is correct, then we are going to see the shaking of the earth is going to go down this fall. We are going to see the Gog-Magog invasion of Israel go down this fall. We are going to see the intermediate and building up to the final fulfillments of the fall feast of the Lord. But in order to understand these things, we must understand first the spring feast of the Lord. And as we are looking at the biblical Hebrew calendar, uh, to give you a quick overview of how the calendar operates. First of all, this calendar is corrected for the Aviv barley in the land of Israel for the spring of 1999 and 2000 now, and it also includes exact year from creation astronomical calculations. When you open up your calendar, you then see at the top of the page, you will have the days of the week. You'll notice that they're not named after pagan gods. They are listed the first day through the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is the... I'm going to interrupt the broadcast right there. In 2017, I memorized the book of Revelation just as a simple project. Surprisingly, I began to receive information on 30 revelations and two visions beyond what is found in the Bible. God showed me a secret door, which is based upon a single word found in Revelation and Leviticus, linking the feasts to the prophecies. 
When linked, a person enters into an understanding of Bible prophecy not previously known. Even though I've been in the world of Bible prophecy for 40 years, frankly, I did not know anything of what is in this book. One prophetic word described it this way. There is a lock that I have put over a word in the book of Revelation that I'm going to open to you. It will turn so many books written on the end time message into obsolete books. That's this book. Topics are Jesus returns on what feast? The secret of the feasts. Who are the two witnesses? What is the morning star? The judgment seat explained. The great white throne explained. The nations explained. What is the shout? And the parables explained. Seals, trumpets, and vials go in what water? Two amazing prophecy charts on the back flap, 12 inches by 9 inches. Imagine a book on prophecy that brings a fresh, new, accurate perspective. I don't want you to get one book for $20. I want you to get five books for $30 or 10 for 55 It's called The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy. Available at prophecyclub.com. The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy. One for 20 No, 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 don't do that. You want to get five for 30 or the best deal, 10 for 55 Prophecyclub.com. Each single Prophecy Club DVD is a gift of $30. In that you know the internet is going away one day, it is a good idea to actually have the disc. However, at WatchProphecyClub.com you can have instant access to over 200 titles on a recurring monthly subscription of $20 or yearly for $200 at WatchProphecyClub.com. That's $6,000 worth of information at WatchProphecyClub.com. That's WatchProphecyClub.com. What a deal.